following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. About running the Christian life, when we got a girl that's trying to survive through life. But before we, uh, before we go into the Word, let's, um, let's pray for the family one more time, if you join me. And uh, let's just really commit them to the Lord. I, I implore you as you go through your day to be thinking about them, praying for them. I don't think it would be wise to go to the hospital this time and visit them, but uh, you can send emails, uh, telephone calls, whatever. Uh, let's just pray for them, shall we? Father, we... We commit this precious family to you. Lord, we have no idea the turmoil of emotion that they're going through. And to think if it was one of our own children. Father, thank you that you're with them. We pray that you would undergird them. That you would give them peace that passes all understanding. That you would strengthen them from within, that you would endue them with power, that you would cause them to rise up with wings like eagles and soar. Father, we pray for their little daughter, Elena, and ask you to minister to her that you would somehow touch her body and allow this virus to leave her body, allow her organs to miraculously begin to work and just bring her back. Father, her future is in your hands. We commit it to you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Well, if you take... uh, Take your Bibles and turn to uh, one of my favorite passages. That's not why I chose it. I, I chose it because God told me to speak on it. Uh, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, a very familiar passage where Paul uses a couple of metaphors of running the race and boxing regarding the Christian life and how we are to run the race of the Christian life. And so the title, if you need a title for the message, the title is, Run in Such a Way That You May Win. Run so as not to be disqualified from the race. Because there is a very, very real possibility that you and I, as Christians, can be disqualified. The word is actually, they they use the word castaway, to be a castaway, to be put on a shelf, to no longer be useful. And it's a very real possibility. So in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes in, beginning in the beginning part of the, the chapter, just to give you a little context, he's talking about his rights as an apostle. That he has rights just like anyone else. He has the right to, to, to eat and drink. He has the right to marry just like other apostles. 
He has these rights, but within his freedom of Christ, he chooses not to exercise his rights for the sake of the gospel. In order to become all things to all men, in order that by all means he might win some to the gospel. And so that's the context here where Paul is speaking. And he's talking about his liberty and his freedom in Christ. And uh, in chapter 9, verses 24, it says this. He says, Do not run. Uh, do you know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. I'm reading from the uh, ESV, by the way. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. You see, Paul had this fear that one day somehow he could possibly become a castaway. That he himself, the great Apostle Paul, had this fear that he could one day possibly be disqualified from the Christian race. I prayed many years ago when I became uh, I became a believer later in life, around 21, if you consider that late. I grew up Catholic, went to college, became an atheist, didn't want anything to do with God. Eventually, God got a hold of my heart. I became a believer, and I uh, went to Moody Bible Institute. Not to become a minister, not to become a missionary, just to learn what the Bible was all about. I just wanted to know what it was about. I had no idea. And when I was there, God called me. In, uh, I went to my first ever missions conference, and God called me to be a missionary. I had no idea what they were. I had no idea what they looked like, what they smelt like, what they wore. I sort of knew they wore pith helmets and khaki jeans, but I had no idea. No idea what I was getting into. I just committed myself to Christ and committed my life to missions. And I've been here, my wife and I have been here now for 20, 24, 25 years. I, I don't know how that happened, but here we are. And uh, one of my prayers early on in my Christian life was that if I ever got to the point in my life where I was disqualifying myself because of my life, that God would take me out, that God would kill me, that God would take me home. Because I never wanted to finish the Christian life not finishing well. And that's always been one of my prayers, is that if I ever get to the point where I'm not going to finish well, please, please, God, just take my life before I destroy it and completely disqualify myself from the Christian life. Now, in this passage, back in the uh, 1800s, there was a nautical expression back when uh, Britain and French, the French, France, uh, ruled the great seven seas. And they had this expression called to shoot across the bow. 
Uh, you probably know what that expression means. And when Britain or French would come across an enemy ship or a ship that was unmarked or unidentified because it didn't raise its flag, they would often come alongside that ship and they would fire a warning shot across the bow of that ship to warn that ship that, hey, you better identify yourself as friend or foe or we're going to blow you right out of the water. It was called shooting across the bow. And sometimes, sometimes God, in his grace, shoots across the bow of a Christian. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who God has recently shot across your bow. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, it could be many things. It could be in the form of an accident. And talking about the Tabor family, this is totally unrelated to that. So just to clarify that. But what does it mean to be shot across the bow? Unconfessed sin in your life. Addictions in your life. Relationships that have gone bad in your life that are undealt with. Things in your life that you know quench, quench the Spirit of God and stifle the Spirit of God. And God has recently shot across your bow. He's giving you a warning shot. I wonder, is there anyone here like that this morning? I'll come back to that in just a minute. And it raises the question in this passage, because uh, this passage talks about endurance. And it raises the question, why is endurance so important? Isn't my perseverance guaranteed? And yes, it does. Because even though your perseverance as a Christian is guaranteed, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe with all my heart that your perseverance is guaranteed. That if you're trusting in Christ, you're going to heaven. This passage is not talking about, when I talk about being disqualified or being a castaway, I'm not talking about someone who loses their salvation. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's not in the context of what Paul is talking about at all. But what he's talking about is your endurance. Your perseverance is guaranteed, but your endurance certainly is not. And it's up to us to maintain our endurance. There's numerous warnings and exhortations throughout the New Testament that our endurance is not so certain. Our salvation is secure, but our endurance is not. Our success in our Christian lives as ministry and ministries is not insured. It's not. It all depends upon us and our walking in the Spirit of God to make sure that we endure in order to achieve our perseverance. 
Now, a little bit of background here to this. The, uh, the games that Paul is talking about here, there was two games in, in, in the, the uh, ancient world. There was the Olympic Games, which were held in Athens, and then there was the Isminian Games. In this passage, Paul is talking about the Isminian Games, which was very, a very familiar uh, analogy, a concept to the people of Corinth. And Paul, by the way, wrote this letter, and this is significant later on. Paul actually wrote this letter early on in his Christian ministry, early on in his uh, apostleship. And um, the games, the Asminian games, the athletes would go into 10 months of rigorous, rigorous training before the games. And then the last month before the games, they would actually go to Corinth and they would be under a coach or a supervisor. And they would be going through training exercises, both in the gym and on the field, going through tremendous amount of rigor and agony. Matter of fact, that word self-discipline in this passage means agony, to agonize. And they would agonize in order to compete in the games. And so... I want, to, I want to give to you a proposition this morning, and it's this. How are we to run in order to win the Christian life? How are we to run in order to win and not be disqualified? I want to share with you four principles or four, four areas, four things that we can run the race with confidence knowing, knowing we will not be disqualified when we run with these four principles in mind. Number one, when we have a clear goal. When we have a clear goal in mind. Verse 24. When we have a clear goal in mind. He says in verse 24, he says, do not run that. Do you know that? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now, this is a typical uh, writing style of Paul. Paul's being, he's, he's, he's being, he's being sarcastic. He's saying, don't you know that in a race? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Well, of course. I mean, everybody knows that. He's not... He's not looking for an answer to the question. It's pretty obvious. But what he's saying, he says, he says, do you not know that in a race all the run is run, but only one receives the prize? So the idea is to run, to get up and run in the race. It's, 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 it's amazing that Paul goes to this extent to tell the Corinthians this, because this is something that, that they should have known. Um, when I, in 2007, I just give, give you a quick illustration. In 2007, God shot across my bottle. And uh, I came down with a very, very bad case of streptococcal pneumonia. Uh, that's the same disease that Jim Henson of the Muppets died from. Two out of Ten people that get streptococcal pneumonia and die from it. I was up in Burma, up in the Chin State, 
I was up there for a couple of weeks doing some leadership training. I came back. I was Rick Walt with Rick Wald, and we went over to non-province. I got really sick there, came back, and, uh, and I was in the hospital for two weeks. Um, things were starting to fail. I was starting to fail. I thought, I'm done. And uh, somehow God got me through it. And I looked back on that experience, and I, I knew that God was shooting across my bow and giving me a warning regarding my life and where my life was going, the direction of my life, things that were in my life that I knew were not pleasing to God. Shortly after that, I met somebody who uh, recently just passed away. His name was Cal. Uh, Some of you knew him, Cal Neff. He was uh, a weightlifter. He started the weight training program at CMIS International School, the strength training program. And uh, I met Cal at CMIS one day, and I had dropped down to about 130 pounds. I was less than 130 pounds at the time. And so I met Cal, and I said, Cal, um, I, want you to, I want you to help me gain some weight. I need to gain some weight. And he said, sure, meet me at the gym at 10 o'clock on Monday. I said, okay. He says, don't be late. I said, okay. So I went to the gym, and I met him. And the first thing he asked me was, what are your goals? It's a good question. And I said, my goal is, is to gain weight. Now, Cal was, this, Cal was this bigger than life type of guy. I mean, he was just huge. And, uh, and I, t- I said to him, I said, Cal, I want to gain some weight. I said, but, but I, I, I don't want to look like you. He said, he said to me, he said, well, that's all right, Mike. I sure don't want to look like you. And I said, okay, good. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we're on the same page here. But this is the running metaphor, and this is how the running metaphor works. When you and I become Christians, we enter into a race, whether you like it or not. How many of you like to run? I was a distance runner for decades. How many of you like to run? Not, not many, right? Yeah, not many. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you became a runner, whether you like it or not. You were entered into a race, the Christian race. But the, the wonderful thing about the, the Christian race is that in the Christian race, Everyone's course is different. In other words, you don't run the same course that I run. I don't run the same course that you run. You don't face the same obstacles that I face. I don't face the same obstacles that you face. You don't have the same opportunities I have. I don't have the same opportunities you have. Everybody's course is unique and different. And therefore, when you run the race... You can win. And so Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run. He's saying get up and run. He didn't say to sit down. He didn't say uh, not to do anything. He said get up and run. Run. Don't walk. Don't stop. Don't sit. Run in order to win the prize. 
And so he tells us to run. And what's the prize? First Peter four, and I'll mention this later on in the at the towards the end. Our prize is this in First Peter four, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you for who by God's power are being poured, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, Paul wrote this early on in his Christian life, but in, but in the, next, the next slide, 1 Timothy 4, 6-8, it was the end of Paul's life, towards the end of Paul's life. Paul's life. And look, look at what he writes. He says, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He's in prison. He's about to go to his death. And he says, in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. We have a wonderful, wonderful inheritance waiting for us on the other side. The question is, are you running to the finish line? Or are you sitting down? Are you walking? Has God shot across your bow? Are there things in your life that you know are hindering you from running this race? Are there sins in your life? Are you grieving the Spirit of God? Are you quenching the Spirit of God? Are there things that are happening in your life that are keeping you from winning this race? So the first thing we have to do is have a clear goal. The second thing we have to do, now there's two things that will, in the Christian life, there's two things that will get you off track. And the first one The first one is when we break training. The second one is when we break the rules. And so let's look at the first one, break training. And you see that in verse 20, uh, 25 and 27. He says, we, if you're going to run the Christian life and win, you not only have to have a clear goal, but you also have to train properly. You have to train properly. He says in verse 25, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a, per a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He goes on and he says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now, the word self-control, again, means to agonize. They exercise self-control in order to win. So what does that mean for an athlete? Well, it means that he goes into strict training. Instead of, instead of sleeping in, he gets up in the morning. Instead of having a hot fudge Sunday, he eats a balanced meal. Instead of not putting in the time, he puts in the time. Instead of sleeping on the sofa... He gets up and he does the work that he needs to do. 
An athlete goes into strict training. He agonizes. Why? Because he wants to win the prize. Now, I've been in... I'm an, I'm, I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete all my life. And I've been in lots of races, lots of mountain bike and road races, bicycle races and running races. And I was in a, I was in a road race one time and a mountain bike race. So whichever one you can relate to, you can choose. And I remember one time I was running this race, and I was, I was up in the top five on both races. And for some reason, I had my head down. You know, I was, just, I was just agonizing, trying to get through this race. And I missed a cone. And I went off, I went off, and I missed, I missed one of the markers. And the ref started yelling at me, saying, you have to come back, you have to come back, you have to come back. You can't miss the mark. So I had to go back, come all the way back, losing time, go around the cone, and keep on going. I was in a mountain bike race one time, and I did the same thing. I had my head down, and I thought I was following the trail. I missed the ribbon, and I went off, and I started climbing up this big hill, and I just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. <laughs> and I realized that I'm not even on the trail. And I come all the way back down and get on the trail, and... Uh, you know, but the two things, two things that will disqualify you from the race is when we break training. You have to train properly. Now, what does that mean for a Christian? How does a Christian train properly? Well, it's, it's what I call the disciplines of the faith. And you know what these things are. It's, the, it's maintaining the disciplines of the faith in your life. It's maintaining reading your Bible. It's maintaining having a prayer life. It's maintaining having a life of fasting. It's maintaining having a life of solitude. It's maintaining certain disciplines of the faith where you can then get away and grow as a believer. In our organization, we have this one thing that we call, uh, we call it's a, um, a personal retreat day. We have to do it every month. Well, we, have, we have a list of our KRAs, our key result areas, things that we're hoping to accomplish in life, whether it's personal, social, uh, ministry-wise, uh, leadership-wise, whatever, 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 your, whatever your big rocks are, and then we have all these objectives under that, and we have to get away with that thing every month and look at it and decide what we're going to be doing next month, what, where we failed last month, what we're going to do next month, and this is a this is a process that we go through every month. I hate doing it, but it's good for me to do it because what it does is it keeps me focused. It keeps me focused and it keeps me disciplined. It helps me to focus on the important things in life. And, um, but you have to discipline your body. We have to have self-control over our bodies. And uh, it's... You know, there's some areas uh, of your life that you need to exercise self-control. Here are just some things that, that you know, I thought of. Um, is that we may need to exercise self-control in our lives. 
Do you need to exercise self-control in your media intake? Do you, need, do you watch too much TV? Do you play too many video games? Do you surf the web for too many hours? I mean, these things are things that just consume your time and take time away from your relationship with God. Do you need to exercise self-control in your leisure? Do you spend too much time working out? Does your hobby come in the way of your relationship with God and your family? Do you need to exercise self-control in your friendships? Are your friends more important to you than God? Are your friends keeping you from being all that God wants you to be? Do you need to exercise self-control over an addiction? Is food a drug to you? Are you a Christian glutton? Do you drink or smoke too much? Are you addicted to sleep? Do you need to repent for laziness? Paul says no to flabby Christianity. The Christian life demands discipline. It demands self-control. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be all morbid and sad and not have a happy life. What it means is that you need to exercise self-control and discipline in your life in order to win the race. Otherwise, otherwise, there's the danger of you being disqualified of being, not losing your salvation, but of being put on a shelf, being a castaway. There's a third thing. Not only do we break the rules or break training, but we break the rules. So how do we, how do we run the Christian life ensuring that we will win the race? Number three, when we obey the rules, obey the rules. So, so he says in verse 26 and verse 27, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not doing this just for the, just going through the motions, just for the sake of doing it. No, no. I, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Basically, what he means, the word discipline there means to, he, he, he gives himself a black eye. He beats himself up. I'm not recommending that you go home and beat yourself up and give yourself a black eye. But this is how serious this was to Paul. Paul didn't run aimlessly, but he exercised discipline and self-control to the point where he brought his body into submission, into submission to himself. The problem with many Christians, many people that I've observed, is that most people, including many Christians, are slaves to their bodies. Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies decide when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep, and when to get up, and so on. An athlete can't allow that to happen. He follows the training rules, not his body. He runs when he would rather be resting. 
He eats a balanced meal when he'd rather have a chocolate sundae. He goes to bed when he'd rather stay up. He gets up early to train when he would rather stay in bed. An athlete leads his body. He does not follow it. It's his slave, not the other way around. And so many of us are slaves to our bodies when our bodies should be slaves to us. And so Paul says, run the race, run the race, so as to win, so as to win. And the last thing he says is this. If we're going to win the race, going back to my original proposition, how are we to run in order to win and not be disqualified? We can run the race with confidence, knowing we will not be disqualified when we have a clear goal in mind, when we exercise self-control or train properly, when we obey the rules, and lastly, when we value the prize. When we value the prize. And there is a prize to be had. The prize here, in verse 25 They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. In the Isthmian Games, only one person would win the race. And it was all individualized sports. There were no team sports in the Isthmian Games. They were all individualized sports. Only one person could win. Athletes would go into strict training for 10 months in order to win the prize. And the prize was just a wreath. That was here one day, and the next day it was faded and shriveled up. And the leaves were falling off it. But it was much more than just a wreath. What it represented was what it represented was was fame. What it represented was status. What it represented was that you were the best of the best of the best. That you were recognized. And they valued that, so much so that they went into strict training and they absolutely punished their bodies in order to win that, 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 that pitiful wreath. But it was much, so much more than just a wreath. It meant everything to them. How much more so should Christians go into strict training and discipline their bodies in order not to win something that's perishable, but something that's imperishable, something that will last for all eternity. How much more important is it to go into strict training and maintain the disciplines of the faith to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, to not grieve the Spirit of God, to not quench the Spirit of God, but to walk in the power of God's Spirit 
in order that we might get an inheritance that's undefiled, unfading. The prize here, Matthew 16, verse 26, the prize can best be summed up in the words of Jesus, if we gain the whole world and lose our soul, then we will have settled for much less than what we could have had. So how much more should Christians be willing to make the sacrifices they have to make, to bring their bodies under strict discipline in order to win a wreath or a prize that's unfading. Now, let me give you a clue to what the prize is because many people get this wrong. They think the prize is rewards, and it is in a sense. It is. But I honestly believe that the prize, if you go back to, if you go back to uh, First, um, First Timothy, Second Timothy four. Um, sorry, First Timothy. Uh, no, that's not it either. First Peter one four. The prize, the prize, yes, it's, it's rewards. There's no, no question about that. But the whole context of this passage, where Paul is talking about his rights as an apostle, and then he says he gives up his freedom. Why? So that he might win some. The prize, I want to suggest to you that the prize here is the souls of men. It's the souls of men and women. That's the prize he's talking about. He's talking about a prize, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The prize, the prize, may I suggest to you, is the very souls of men and women who are all around us, who are perishing. Yeah, it's rewards, but it's also the souls of men and women. I'll confess to you uh, something that recently happened to me, that uh, God shot across my bow again. Just in 2013, I uh, underwent several major surgeries, four in a row, and um, it wasn't life-threatening, but it was not much fun. And I knew God was shooting across my bow again. And so for the past year, two years, I've been just agonizing over this, trying to figure out what it is that God's trying to teach me. I think I finally got it figured out.
But what does it look like? What does it look like? What does faithful running look like? Who are those who run in such a way that they may win? Let me just give you some suggestions here, and I think you could probably add to this list as you like. But here are some suggestions. What does a faithful runner look like? Christians who finish their lives still growing, still serving. Christians who are still maintaining those disciplines of the faith. Senior saints that persist in daily prayer until the Lord calls them home. Senior saints have a tremendous ministry of prayer. And it's a privilege for them to exercise that. Husbands and wives who stay faithful to each other until death do us part. I can't tell you how many, how many people I've known over the years in this city who have fallen to immorality, to internet pornography, and everything else because they didn't exercise self-control. They didn't exercise discipline. Young people who persevere with virginity, their virginity until marriage, in spite of crushing peer pressure. Ministers who stay passionate about ministry until their last breath. Church members who weather the rougher patches and remain joyful, loving, and faithful. That's what it looks like to finish well. That's what it looks like to win the prize. And I promise you, I can promise you from the bottom of my heart that if we run the race, if we run the race, and we keep our eyes on the goal, and we train properly, and we don't break the rules, and when you do break the rules, when you do break the rules, you get back on track. You go back to that point, just like, that, just like in that race that I was running in, that mountain bike race I was in. When you break the rules, when you get off track, you go back to the point where you broke the rule and you get back on course. It's called confession. And keep short accounts with God. Get back on, the, get back, get back on track. Don't break the rules and value, value the prize. Value the prize. And I believe that you and I can finish the Christian race and finish it well. And one day when we get to heaven, God's going to look at us and he's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Now, there may be someone here this morning, I don't know. Let me just speak to you for a second. God has shot in across your bow. You know he's shot in across your bow. He's warned you. Once he's warned you twice, he's warned you again. And what God's asking you to do this morning is to come to him and confess it and make it right.
and get back on track. To begin to exercise those disciplines of the faith, to exercise self-control. If you're here this morning and you believe that God has shot and across your bow, and you would like someone to pray for you, I will be here to the front. I'll ask some of the elders to come to the front. And you can come to the front after the service, and we'll be happy to pray for you and help you to get back on track. Because God, more than anything, wants you to get up and run and win the race. Because the race that you're running, no one else can run. It's your race. It's your course. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, who was a tremendous example throughout his life of starting the race and pouring his life out as a drink offering and finishing well. Lord, our great desire is to finish well. There's someone here who's not doing well. Father, I pray you'd speak to them. You'd give them the grace to humble themselves and to get back on track. I pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. In Jesus' name, amen.